Well, thanks, everybody. Most of you know me already, um, but don't see me speaking here very often. I tend to uh, like staying in the background usually. Um, so today, I, uh, when I was offered the choice, I chose Amos. And the God of justice is what we'll be looking at today. And I've got um, two parts to this. I've got a little appetizer to start with, and then we've got the main meal to come. So if we could have the next. No dessert? Oh, communion is the dessert. Yeah. So I thought I'd start with a brief overview for those that maybe don't know Amos very well. So it's nine chapters. Um, often when you read it, you can think he's the prophet of doom because it's quite depressing and heavy. Um, written approximately 790 AD, similar time to Joel and Hosea. Lived in Judah, which is in the south, but prophesied in the north worked as a shepherd. If we can go to the next one. So at a glance, we've got nine chapters, four main themes, oracles and prophecies in the first couple of books. The next chapters, three to seven, are sermons. Chapters seven to most of nine are visions. And then finally, the latter part of chapter nine is God's promises to Israel. This is where it's set, and when we look first of all in the book, God is condemning cities and kingdoms around Israel, and they were probably looking on thinking, oh gosh, aren't they bad? But what they didn't realize was God was circling in and coming into them to convict and, and to talk to them about what they were doing. So before we go into the word, I thought I'd sum all of that up in a little poem. Amos was looking after sheep until God told him no. He had a special job for him. To Israel he must go. He'd heard that Israel's sins were bad, but God said it was worse. The people had seriously lost their way. They were acting quite perverse. Amos spoke God's words of anger, of correction, and of woe. But Israel chose not to listen. Their own way they would go. He told them God loved them. He showed them the way. But Israel, entrenched in sin, preferred to stay that way. God spoke in visions, famines and such, to bring them back to him. But they had chosen religion instead of faith. They still couldn't see their sin. I am the God of justice, he asked Amos to say. Let justice roll on like a river until that chosen day. That precious day is coming when I will send my son. Then justice will be meted out, the victory will be won. I have promised to restore Israel and all things back to me. Rebuild the ruined cities for all eternity. My son will rule again with me and Eden be rebirthed. For Jesus is the payment of restoring justice on the earth. So that is Amos in a nutshell. Thank you. <laughs> no, there is more. There is more. That was the intro. That was the appetizer. I hope you've now got a sense roughly of what Amos is about, but we're going to look a little deeper into things. Let us begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that when we first delve into your word, sometimes it can seem overwhelming and confusing. But Lord, when we take time to sit with you and look into your word, we see those beautiful hidden depths. 
Lord, as we look at Amos today, Lord, I, I pray that you will open our hearts and our eyes to see the beautiful God of justice that is throughout Amos, the heart that you have for your people, the heart that you have for us. So give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to you, Lord God. Amen. Okay, so I don't have my scriptures up on the notice board today, I'm sorry. So if you have a Bible, would you turn please to Amos 2 and it's uh, verses 6 to 12. If you prefer to listen, that's fine. The passage is entitled Judgment on Israel. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them. Though they were as tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks, I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you for 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. So, pretty heavy words, eh? Um, can you imagine being an Israelite, hearing th that message being delivered from a farmer from the south? The language is really strong. I will not relent. I will crush you, it says. This wasn't even written in a time of war. It wasn't written in a time of famine or conflict. But in a rare time of peace. It was a time of affluence and prosperity. So what on earth were they doing that caused God to be so angry with them? We could have the next slide, please. The people had become complacent. That was the problem. In their prosperity, in their affluence, they had taken a back seat. They'd fallen asleep in their comfort. And in this comfort, they'd started committing crimes against humanity. We look again in that passage in verse 6, talks of people trafficking. Verse 7, disregard for the poor. It also talks about the denial of justice, the selling of the innocent, sexual perversion, and leading others astray. Now, these were not people that didn't know Yahweh, who weren't in the temple worshipping regularly. They were as faithful as we are here every Sunday, that's what they were doing. They were coming to the temple. They were bringing their sacrifices and their offerings, but all the while committing these horrendous sins against their fellow man. And if we look at this list today and we look at society around us, 
How many of those do we think still exist? Unfortunately, I probably could say all of them. Last year, there was a report in the independent newspaper, and it read, thousands of British adults and children are being deceived into joining UK cult groups, new researchers found. It's being called the hidden epidemic. An estimated 2,000 cult groups are operating across the country, but government ministers have not acted to stop them because of fears that they can't legally distinguish between religion and semi-criminal cults. A survey of 105 victims of 36 different cult groups produced a report that said thousands of people have suffered sexual abuse, isolation from friends, financial exploitation and modern slavery. The 36 cult groups ranged from those based on religion and politics to those pertaining to well-being and personal growth. The majority of respondents, now listen to this, the majority of respondents, 91%, said they were part of a religious or spiritual group. So sobering, really, to think that we're actually in a world that is not too dissimilar from Israel. If you think about it, in June this year, there was a Nigerian diplomat arrested in London for trafficking a 15-year-old boy from Nigeria for the sole purpose of harvesting his organs to give to his daughter. We are living in a broken world. It's terrible. Crimes against people are a picture of a broken humanity. Earthly relationships, the relationships we have with each other, have a heavenly dimension. They're not just between you and I. They're between you, I, and God. In Acts 24, 16, it says... Take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and towards man. We have a conscience. That conscience is part of God's image of inside of us. Worst crimes are committed when we choose to ignore our conscience than when we fight from it. Doing nothing is not an option. I'll just say that one more time. Our conscience is part of our image of God inside us. Worse crimes are committed when we ignore our conscience than when we fight from our conscience. Doing nothing is not an option. We can write letters, we can donate, we can raise awareness of injustice, we can reach out even if it's just to one person. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. We cannot be complacent. Let's not get too comfortable in where we're sat right now. We're in a time where society needs Jesus more than ever. We're in a time of financial crisis, of food poverty, of all sorts of horrendous things happening. And God calls the church to be justice for him. So, so far, it's pretty heavy, eh? And uh, just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. Could I have the next slide, please? So not only were they committing offences against humanity, they were committing offences against God. In verse 8 of chapter 2, we see the desecration of the temple in the form of sexual activity. That's when he says, you lie down in the temple. 
drinking wine and not treating the sacrifices appropriately. The coat that they're lying on should have been given back at the end of the day, but they kept it. Verse 9 to 11 remind us um, of what God has done for the Israelites in the past. And he's done a lot. It's not like, oh yes, you helped me with the shopping or I found a parking space. He brought them out of Egypt. He destroyed their opponents. But still, they're not listening. In chapter 5, verse 21 in particular, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. We meet every morning when we, we meet on a Sunday to pray God's blessing and God's presence. Can you imagine God saying to us there, no, I hate your assemblies, they're a stench. What on earth would we do? We'd be heartbroken, wouldn't we? They were going through the motions. They were attending church. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were doing outwardly all that they meant to be doing. But inwardly, they were dark. And God despised it. So he used Amos to call them out. And sometimes we look at these and you think, oh, well, they don't apply to me. This is something in the Old Testament a long time ago. Actually, I think it's sometimes worthwhile just using this as a sense check. I think it's good for me to remind myself of God's word so I know that it's in me when I need it. I think it's a good thing to remind myself of what God has done in my life. It's what helps me get through the difficult times. It stops me going astray. And it also ensures that we don't just come to church and go through the motions that we actually come to meet the living God who renews us, who gives us strength, and who speaks to us. Next slide. As we go through Amos, when we get to chapter 4, we see a change. We see God giving Israel a reminder of all the times that he's called them back to himself. But sadly, we see that it has no effect. Five times God uses the line, yet you have not returned to me. It's not a dictatorial angry God who's wagging a finger at them. It's a heart cry of somebody who wants them to come back. He's desperate for them to come back. I often think of this um, when I was reading it. It's like the, the prodigal son's dad when he's wanting his son to come back. Please come back. Please come back. Come back to me but they don't. And so it's heartbreaking really, isn't it? When you offer somebody that opportunity and they don't take it. God offers them the chance to repent. He calls them to seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live, he says repeatedly. Seek good and not evil that you may live and hate evil and love good. These are words of God's justice, crying out to his people. These are life-giving words. God's message is clear. There is always a way back to God. There is always forgiveness for those that repent. God is life. Sin is death. These are words of an aching father crying out in pain for his lost children. These words he still speaks over those who have turned away from him, those who may not have known him or those that are on the wrong path. 
It's never too late because God, the God of justice, calls us back continually. He never gives up on us. He continues, as he did with Israel in Amos, continues to offer them opportunity after opportunity, calling them back into himself. So we, in chapter 9, things move slightly in terms of mood and what's happening. We see God talk, drawing back from his thoughts of destruction on Israel because they're not listening. Amos is pleading with God and, and out of the five visions, he, he prays twice to God and asks him not to do it. And God relents. So God is now looking less at the destruction and death of Israel. So this is where we turn to our second passage of scripture. It is Amos 9, verses 11 to 15. It says, Israel's restoration. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will overtake, be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. Amen. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat the fruit. I will never, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Promises are made to the Israelites of a brighter future a time when God will restore the house of Israel. It's a messianic prophecy. And in the words of verse 12, all the nations that bear my name is talking about God not just calling the Israelites, but calling the Gentiles to himself as well through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He offers to repair the ruins. The glory of the kingdom of David is restored. Promises of abundance that cannot be rivaled by what the affluence they see now. And that they have that promise of a permanent dwelling place and enjoy the unforeseen rhythms of life. God will rebuild the church. The restoration of the land is a symbol of Eden being restored and humanity being restored into God's favour. So as we come to the end of the book of Amos, we stop to think what this might mean for us. Through Amos, God points out injustice. He leads the Israelites back from sin. He loves them back into relationship. And he promises them a better future, dependent on their repentance. Next slide. So after 300 years of 
since Amos prophesied, the promised Messiah comes to fulfill and expand this prophecy. He came to teach us to stand for injustice, to lead us back from our sins, to love us back into relationship and to promise us a better future with him. We are told in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of this was achieved not because of anything that we have done, but through Jesus' death on the cross. His perfect sacrifice once and for all has brought us justice that is undeserved, justice that is immeasurable, justice that shows us of God's unfailing love for us. And as we come to the end, I just want to offer up two short prayers. And if you feel either of these prayers are for you, please join in with me. The first prayer is if you feel in your spirit that you identify with Israel, you have got comfortable in your affluence, you have got comfortable in your faith, you have perhaps religion, not faith. If you feel like that's a prayer for you, let's pray. Lord, if any of us are in Israel's shoes, we pray now, Father God, would you show us the way back to you? Would you help us to listen? Would you speak tenderly to us and bring us back into healthy relationship with you? Lord, would you seal in us a passion for your word and a heart for justice? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the second prayer is if you feel that you have a call on your life to be an Amos, to speak out about things, but you might find that difficult because you either feel you don't have a platform or you don't know where to start. Just think back to Amos, a little sheep farmer in the south, not a skilled prophet, not a trained prophet. There were prophets in the north but the king had silenced the prophets, which is why he used a sheep farmer from the south. God uses sheep farmers. That's all he wants are hearts that are willing to go for him. That's all he's looking for. He'll, he'll equip you with the rest. So if you feel that spirit of Amos on your life, let's pray. Lord, for those that feel the spirit of Amos in their life, would you please raise their confidence, knowing that you can equip and um, particularly when we're feeling out of our depth, Lord. Would you come and equip us for those moments? Would you break our hearts, Father God, for the things that break yours? Would you show us the injustices that are on our doorstep and the things that we can do about that? Make it so that we feel compelled to speak out, that we can't keep it in. Help us to be strong in that sense. Help us to be uh, the one that goes out to the one for those that suffer injustice, for those that need to hear your words, for those that need your love and your forgiveness. Would you bring us into that place, Lord, where we feel your presence and your equipping to go out and be Amos for you, Lord God. Amen.